it's different to be on this side this morning. I was down there, and fortunately, at my age, I have hearing aids, so I can actually turn the sound down. I hope you don't have to do that tonight here. Um, it's good to be here on a Sunday night. Sunday, of course, is a great day as Christians. This is the first day of the week. We hope I, we, I hope we haven't fallen into the trap that most folk in the rest of the town take in regard Sunday as the second day of the weekend, sort of the end of a, a long, drawn-out week. No, this is the first day, the day when we come together to be able to renew and refresh and especially get ready for what's ahead. And of course that means getting our heart in tune with God, getting our mind in tune as well. I'm not going to say what some people say when we come to the sermon part. I'll put your intellectual mind into rest and put that aside. Let's just get your feelings out tonight and feel what's being said. Hmm, let's split us in half and make us half people and in fact more like animals than anything else. No, no, I want you to get your whole mind, your whole feeling, the whole of your personality together for just half an hour or a bit more than that, a half an hour, and, and see if we can learn something because if you notice what we've got there as our topic tonight, it's about equipping mission and we're looking at the sending of the 72 out into mission in Luke chapter 11. And we're listening particularly to one passage in which the Lord Jesus Christ himself talks about missions specifically, tells us how to get ready for it. Now we don't often spend half an hour just thinking about what does the Lord want us to say and to understand and to do. And this is really going to do something to our thinking, to our minds, if we're going to hear, because we're going to have to move from a way of thinking which has no place for Christ which is a pretty fair summary of a normal everyday work, isn't it? And to come to a place where we can actually think about how does God see this particular need for people to go and serve him in mission? Okay, mind's in the gear, whole personality's ready and excited, and we're going to notice what it says. And of course, as soon as we turn to Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, after this... Uh, so we need to locate our passage first, find out where we actually are at uh, in this part of Luke's Gospel for a moment before we go on to find out what it is that Jesus says. So let's have a look at how we can locate our text. We're going to do that by going back first, not to the beginning of the book, although that will be the perfect way to do it. We'll just go back to the beginning of the two long chapters which have just gone before chapter 10. In Luke chapter 8, the very beginning of chapter 8, um, we read these words. After this, so there's a pref more before this, but this is where we're starting. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from time after time, town after town, he told this parable. So, this is where we're at. We're in the part of Jesus' ministry, mostly in Galilee at this time, where he's going from village to village. 
He's got women supporting him and providing the wherewithal to make it possible for him to do it. Now, he knew that. Jesus had to depend on the women because they supported him. Nothing strange, right? Um, and he's moving about and finding a whole lot of people at a time when his popularity is soared, crowds are following him, and in the rest of chapter 8, he goes on to tell the famous parables, like the parable of the soil and the sowers. He does some of his greatest works. He goes into the across the Jordan, Transjordan. He heals a man from demon possession there and sees a transformation in that life. He comes back again into Galilee, and in chapter 9, verse 1, again we read that Jesus is now sending out the 12 apostles to go into mission. The special leaders of the church are all given a charge and a commission to take the good news to, this time, a restricted group of people, just to the Jews first, and then the story moves on, and we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Peter's confession, Jesus foretells his death twice in chapter 9. There's a famous story of the transfiguration. In chapter 9, verse 51 particularly, we have a key verse which, again, it's worth reading. It says, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem, the old versions say. So we come to the point where he knows it's not long now before the end of his public ministry and he starts to head toward Jerusalem. Immediately after that, we find he's rejected by one village in Samaria. In fact, he's rejected precisely because he's going to, to Jerusalem. And then we find the chapter finishes up with a number of people coming and say, I want to be your disciple, but... I want to be your disciple, but... And they give excuses for not following Jesus. Keen, but not prepared to pay the cost. And then we get to our chapter, chapter 10. Because of the increasing popularity... Because of the fact that, that rejection and opposition is beginning to build up and to grow, what does Jesus do? He sends out a new group of people a mission. Opposition, opportunity, mission. That's the answer. And for a church like ours, it says, we work so that every believer can be on mission every day to hear our Lord giving instructions about preparing for mission. This is something quite special. All right, what does he say? Well, it's in three parts, like any good uh, message from the Lord or anyone else. And we'll listen to the text first. I'm reading from the current New International Version, although later I'll refer to the today's New English Version when I'm reading from my own Bible. These are the words that we read. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there 
eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. There's some pretty strange things there. We need to dig into it and find out because here the Lord is giving us not just preparation for the immediate group of 72 to go out and get involved in a, a learning experience, a trial mission if you like, but he's giving us some important preliminary understanding of what mission is and how to get started in it particularly. It's always good to be reminded of how to start because so often as we go in on in a task, we forget where we come from. So tonight we're going to go back to the start of a particular group in mission and see what we can learn. All right, from verses 1 to 3, I'm suggesting we can learn about mission in terms of its essential foundations. Four things are said which are fundamental to any mission at any time. Let's make sure we're clear about them. First of all, in verses 1 and 3, mission means appointing and sending. Jesus says, the Lord, or the passage says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and Jesus sent them two by two ahead of him. Verse 3, Jesus says, I am sending you. Appointing and sending. Mission is not restricted to ecclesiastical leaders. It's the first thing we see from 72 others. It's another group, not just the well-known apostles. They were commissioned in chapter eight and chapter nine, verse one. Here's chapter ten, seventy-two more. We're at a new level of intensity. Seventy-two hand-picked representatives, and they're specially appointed to this task. You see, it's not just leaders; it's ordinary Christians, people who've come into a personal relationship with Christ. They too are His people, His appointed people for this kind of task. Mission means being commissioned, being available for deployment, ready to reallocate time, resources and values for the sake of others and their spiritual needs. Mission means being on call, in other words, available to move into new situations or to turn your existing situation into a staging post for more forward mission, with, for more forward movement with more mission always looking beyond self and your own possessions to feel the heartache of the other person and work for a solution. Never quite content with the status quo, but creatively thinking, dreaming, planning, how can I extend to include somebody else within the circle of care, which is part of my area of concern. That's mission. Secondly, mission grasps God's evaluation of humans as a harvest field. One of the great things about the New Testament is it's constantly challenging us to bring our minds, our thinking, into line with the way God sees things and not to get sucked off into the ways of the world around us. Here's an image for understanding who we are and what we're here for that 
Jesus throws out there and says, this is the foundation out of which mission grows. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He looks on us and he sees Christians as part of a harvest. He sees us as people who, as humans and as made in the image of God, are potential for productivity. People who are human, made in the image of God, are potential for productive living. We're not mere cogs in some national economy. We're not just ciphers to be manipulated as servants of the wealthy and the powerful. But we are potential ambassadors of Christ, available and willing to represent Christ wherever we are posted and to produce a harvest of good fruit through the ministry of reconciliation, the God-given opportunity and responsibility that he trusts us with. Christians, each one of us, are people with gifts and capacity to produce, to benefit our society and our maker, and to bring an abundant harvest of good to improve and enhance our community for the well-being of our neighbours and to bring praise to God. Moreover, mission means we're ready and waiting to move into such harvest abundance. But, and the other half of it, shows us that Jesus is also very much in tune with reality. He says, but the workers are few. There aren't too many people who are prepared to put the concerns of others, and especially their spiritual concerns, above their own interests, their own concerns, their own programs and timetables. There are few who desire to see others finding satisfaction and fulfilment in their neighbourhood or world. There are few who will, and you'll recognise the words from Philippians, who will do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but each to the interests of others, having the mind of Christ. So, a harvest field, potentially, but few workers, so what? Notice what Jesus says. It goes straight on and it says, Ask the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labourers into the harvest. The answer to the opportunity, but so few to satisfy it, is to pray. And prayer is the first step in mission. Mission is initiated and flows from prayer. Dave told us that last week from Colossians chapter 2. Same message again. Mission always begins with prayer because, of course, primarily, mission is God's work. So to speak with him, to ask him, to inquire as to what he wants done becomes first in all things. He is the Lord of the harvest. He knows best the state of the harvest. He knows what kind of care, attention, provision will best satisfy the needs. He knows the pace and the kind of growth, the feed, the fertilising, the time that's still necessary for the harvest to come to maturity and to be ready for, har- for actually being gathered in. Mission depends on the presence, the guidance and the re- directing of the Holy Spirit, God himself, at every time, at every point. So, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Some of us 
They're not sure whether or not we're called to mission. We don't know whether we should reach out and speak to those other people who live have lived beside us for a long time. We get in to know very well. We know their family problems. We hear it every night often when the father comes home in a less than complete uh, sense. And um, we know a lot more than we sometimes want to know about them. But should we actually be going to them and telling them about the gospel? It was a question like that that actually gave us a couple of messages. Do we have permission to talk to them? Well, if we're not sure, we pray. This is where mission begins. We ask God to tell us. We bring that opportunity, that need, that situation to him in prayer. Because you see, when we pray, we find certainty and clarity. When we pray, we find conviction about what we should be doing personally. We sense that call upon us for what God wants us to do. And it may or it may not be to go and speak to him immediately, but through prayer, we get to know where we fit in God's program. We come to understand and to bring our thinking into line with the demands and expectations of God himself. Yes, mission is initiated and flows from prayer. Mission, though, goes a step further. Mission is also, this passage tells us, going. It's being sent by Christ in partnership with him and to be going to become vulnerable like him wherever he places us. Again, in verse 1, Jesus it tells us, Jesus sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Mission involves going and being sent. The Lord himself chooses where he wants us to go and commands us to do so. It's a to a personal partnership with him. We don't just go out willy-nilly and do whatever we think is the wisest, but we go as he commands, as he wants, where he directs. It's a partnership with Jesus. He says, I am sending you. It presupposes a living relationship where we know how to recognize his voice and we're in a living relationship with him. But in that relationship, mission is obeying the voice which says, go. More than that, it's a purposeful partnership because Jesus is sending them to the very places he intends to visit so that they can get things ready. The amazing thing is that the living God trusts you and me to initiate his work here on earth. That was a pretty big risk that he's taking, isn't it? That he would trust us to do in partnership with him what he wants done. But he actually, he makes it pretty clear here. He knows where he's going to go and what he has to do to see people's lives transformed, but he sends us up front to get things ready. Our work is always to sow seed, to till the ground, to get it ready, so that he can produce the harvest. Only he can produce the harvest, but he needs us to get things organised and ready. Yes, prayer is, or going is, for a personal and a purposeful partnership. But this verse, or these verses, tell us it's also for an extensive, an extending partnership because it had only been 12 before, now it's 72. And Christ is always working for more and more opportunities to be taken up in mission. We could spend a lot of time talking about why 72, but since the passage, 
tells them to go two by two, it means they only went to 36 places, and it says nothing about the 36, so we don't have to dig into it here. Although we talk about it, if you like. But not only in numbers and destinations as well. This time Jesus says to them, go to every town and village. In chapter uh, 8, where the chapter 9, where the 12 had been commissioned, they were told to go only to the Jewish villages. This time it's to all the villages. There's no limitation now. But in this going, there's one special thing we have to note. When Jesus says, go, he says, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm sending you out like helpless, defenseless animals that are the everyday meat and food for a lot of the people out there who can only be described as wolves. In other words, be prepared, be ready. It's going to be tough, it's going to be rough, it's going to be cruel. But I'm sending you, and I'm sending you in the same way that I went into the world, says Jesus. Notice that he picks up this going like sheep in this passage, and it's the same back when he sent out the twelve. Before he sends the twelve out, he says, it says, Jesus moved from village to village all around, and he saw the people like helpless sheep, like shepherdless people. He brings the harvest imagery and the shepherding imagery together. There's a special link between them. And the wonderful thing is that whenever we go out, into the loneliness and the difficulty and the challenge and the hurts often of mission in the harvest field, we have the assurance it was the good shepherd, the great shepherd who sent us and he comes with us into that situation. So even though it's as lambs, very vulnerable animals, he sends us out to be marauded by those with no ethics and with no spiritual foundation. He comes with us. We have the good shepherd to care and protect for us. And that's the assurance that we go with, even though we go to be like Jesus and to become vulnerable. Mission is not a militaristic conquistadorial venture, but a humble, risky, going and coming to serve else needs and to be misunderstood, attacked, misused and to face harm and danger, just as Jesus did. Jesus never underestimates the costliness of mission, but he pre-warns us, he tells us in advance, and he promises his presence to be with us. And that's sufficient. That's all we need. All right. We've seen the essential foundations. We probably have them on a summary slide there. But the second part moves on, and Jesus tells us now some very specific instructions for going and making first contacts. Although they're first contacts for these 72, they're also eternal insights for us today. We can go through, through them pretty quickly. First he says, travel light, depend directly on God. And he gives a list of don'ts. He says, you'll need no purse, no bag, no extra sandals. In fact, some people would say, take this verse, others, the other passages in Mark, uh, in Matthew says, take no extra, or implies take no second pair of sandals. 
But in each of these cases, Jesus is saying, trust God directly. Don't build up a great accumulation of things that you can trust in. Rely on God for your daily needs, for your daily provision. Go and show that God can be trusted, that Christ is faithful, that he does meet our needs when we have little, when we have nothing. And so he's wanting them to live simply and to go and to be able to devote themselves to being with the other people, not worrying about how they will survive themselves. Second, he says, keep on focus. And this is that strange word. He says, don't greet anyone on the road. Now, that seems peculiar when he's telling us to be friendly to everybody, but David Hearn in the Jewish New Testament commentary, which Gavin very kindly loaned me, explains it like this. He says, don't stop to smoosh with people on the road. King James translates the Greek words, salute no one. But the Yiddish, the modern Hebrew word, is smoosh, which means talk in a friendly way, chit-chat, engage in idle conversation, gossip. So Jesus is saying, don't gossip with anybody on the way. And this, uh, David Hearn says, conveys precisely the sense of the Lord's instruction not to waste time on the road, but to hasten to the destination and get on with the work to be done. I don't have to demonstrate the danger of rumour and of half-truths and of gossip further than to say, what's happening in Alice at the moment? What's the biggest danger to mission in our own town? Why are so many going that way when the problems and issues are here? Why? It's rumour. It's gossip. It's half-truths. People are listening to all the stories they hear on the way instead of actually going, seeing for themselves, getting to know the situation, becoming involved as part of the answer. Beware of rumour, beware of gossip. Don't gossip on the way. It's pretty good advice at all times. Focus, keep on task. And he says, when you go, greet your hosts and discern their receptivity. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If the head of the house loves peace, or some translations say, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. You see, initial greetings are important. Initial relationships are important, especially in mission. And the wise missionary will actually sum up and assess and watch for and try to read that initial situation and to judge whether or not there is a peaceful relationship that can be established because we are trusted to go in peace and become peacemakers and so from our very first greeting, that's what we're there for. We're trying to test the water and to find out, will this person show a peaceful attitude that wants to learn more about peace? Because, you see, we're New Testament Christians. We're not Old Testament people. We all know that the Jewish-Hebrew greeting was shalom, which means peace, wholeness, good things for you. But Christians take it much further than that. We know that peace is more than just a happy way of life. Peace is what Christ came to give and to bring, and peace is what only Christ can give and bring. And so 
as we say peace to someone else, we're actually looking for, we're offering a first step towards inviting them to receive the peace that puts them, makes them right with God, because that's who we are and what we've been given to do. We are ambassadors going in peace to offer peace, the peace that only Jesus can give. Howard Marshall puts it like this. He says, the word peace is no longer an empty formality, but refers to the peace which is associated with the coming of the salvation of God. And he refers to John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. I don't give as the world gives. I give another quality, another kind of peace. It's peace with God and peace with other people. Yes, the way the host responds to a well-worded initial greeting will indicate whether they are genuinely open to hear and receive the message of the messengers of Christ, but this means we should give careful thought to openly and with integrity indicate our true message as we bring a greeting. Should, we, should they welcome our greeting of peace? Well, then it says we can go further with the task that God's given us. If they don't, if they don't accept our offer, well, then it says that peace will return to you. The message can be spurned, it can be rejected, but the messenger can know that they don't have to blame themselves if that happens. They can know that they've done what Christ expects. They've tried, hopefully earnestly and sincerely, and they can therefore take the peace and satisfaction for themselves and go away with it, holding on to it. There is a blessing, there is a new sort of peace available by going to obey Christ. If they won't receive it, well, then we can find it abundantly growing within our own heart. As messengers, we're only responsible to ensure we bring the greeting with integrity and sincerity and fittingly for a peacemaker. The hearer is responsible and accountable for their response. And we'll come back to that. There's one final step in these initial instructions. We're told in verse 7, Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, or workers deserve their wages. Don't move around from house to house. Now that too needs a bit of unpacking. You see, we're to accept their culturally appropriate hospitality and provisions and to accept it as servants working to help our hosts, not just culling favours or seeking a following for ourselves. Get the contrast? We are to stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. You see, eating and drinking with other people is the way to find out how the culture actually works because food preparation, food sharing, understanding what they eat and why they eat it that strange way is a pathway into understanding the whole of their culture. Jesus is giving a command which is saying, get to know the real people. And here's the balance. Don't listen to the rumours on the way, you'll get confused. Go and meet the people, get to know them by name, eat their food, listen to them, find out from them why they do what they do and what the real needs are. Understand at first hand, not second hand. So, being called and appointed to mission requires commitment 
and the thoughtful stripping away of unhelpful or distracting aspects of our lifestyle so as to show our Christ-like trust in God and clear attention to our relations with those we serve, particularly as we make initial contacts across the cultural or even the subcultural barriers, differences of lifestyle across the boundaries. Jesus here is highlighting um, this important understanding so that we can recognize the things that happen in our society which take away that direct access to them. The final section of all few verses in the section talk about instructions for moving forward in mission. Whether we're welcomed or rejected, there's two parts to it. Jesus gives, tells us, well, first of all, Jesus takes it for granted that there will be a division when we go out on mission. Some will accept, some will reject the mes message. This was his experience, and he warns us not to expect it any different for ourselves. He expects us to accept other people's decisions to either accept or reject his offer of wholeness and peace, and not to blame ourselves for their rejection of the message. Jesus gives very briefly, very concisely, three very big and very important patterns or aspects of mission. In verses 8 and 9, he says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, and then he goes on and says, First, eat what is set before you. As I said, the meal table is a clear reflection of a person's dearest values and priorities. Eating the host menu together is a very clear way of showing we respect and want to understand their culture. So Jesus is saying, go and be present with them. Get to know them where they really are at. Understand their culture. Go and show that you accept, you want to learn, that you respect, and you want to get to know them, where they are, how they are, just as they are. Be present with them in, in reality, not just in a formal way so you can throw the gospel at them. No, no, get to know them as real people and do it around the meal table is the best place to start. Yes, mission means presence. Mission means accepting, understanding, respecting and identifying with the culture and the provisions of the culture of the other person. We often are told other things about mission, but without an understanding of the culture at first hand, we can never relate in the way Christ expects us to. We've got to know how the culture works. We don't go with some superior, judgmental, stand-offish or holier-than-thou critical sense toward their cultural practices or what we regard as a lack of proper behaviour and proper education. You see, love, especially the love of Christ, is not rude, we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not rude. But me judging another person's cultural patterns and behaviour is the rudest thing I can do. Because love is not rude and because we are those who want to show the love of Christ, we have to grapple with and understand the culture around us. And we don't write it all off as of the devil or these sorts of things. No, it's God 
gifts given they, they contain, God-given ways by which their dearest hopes and desires can be expressed. And if we're going on mission, we need to understand them. You see, missionaries are always tested by the local people. And if we're not really sincere about wanting to know them as they are, if we have no interest in their culture, they see and they know. There's only one group who knows quicker than they do, and that's our teenage kids. We've got to be sincere and genuinely be present as fully involved and fully accepting of the opportunities. The passage goes on. The second thing for mission. Mission not only means being present, it means presence, but mission also means service. We are to care for social and physical needs of others. In the verse it says, heal the sick who are there. In Jesus' day, of course, Sickness was a major factor in personal and family life as well. Not just for physical well-being, but a person's whole place within society depended on how well they were. They were usually excluded if they were sick. So finding healing was finding the key to getting back into the society. And Jesus says, go and heal the sick. Help people to actually function properly in their social setting. Now, we live in a different situation where other agencies take over many of these things. But for Jesus, looking for and entering into and meeting needs of sick people and the things that go with it, all the other things around, caring for the sick, means being involved in the social implications like hygiene, nutrition, education the legal things that they fall into because of their sickness and lack of work, or psychological and other social needs. All these are part of mission. All these have to be part of our agenda if we're really going to help people to become whole physically and socially. And service is part of mission. Jesus has an interesting comment there about the labourer demanding or deserving his wages. He says, Look for the needs of your host, serve them properly, and you won't have to worry about being looked after properly. And that becomes later referred to as scripture. Well, that's on the words of Jesus. All right, we'll talk about that later. And then there's a third thing in this main section here. It says, if you're welcome, you are to be present, because mission is presence. You are to serve physical and social needs because it's service. But mission is also proclamation. He says, announce the good news. Jesus says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Sharing the message and inviting people to make Jesus, Jesus their king, what we usually call evangelism, this also is vital in mission. Changing loyalties and turning the whole of our personal, our family, our communal lives over to Jesus and his kingly rule is what we mean when we talk about building the kingdom, bringing in the kingdom. It's helping people to make the rule of Jesus the rule by which they live and the rule which dominates their life. And we were introduced to earlier tonight, said it very well. So, when mission, when we go on mission to another subculture or another culture, this is going to involve all the things that make it possible to tell them about the kingdom. That means translation of the scripture. It means literacy, teaching people to read the scriptures. It means making disciples, baptizing, teaching all that Jesus commanded, 
equipping preachers, nourishing worship and spiritual life, and so on. Jesus just uses the broadest terms in the term, and he says, tell them the kingly rule of Christ has come near. But note, Jesus doesn't say, hey, take a choice. You can either go on a mission and be present with the people and get become expert in their culture and get to know them, let them know you fully, show you accept them completely, or you can go and serve them and get thoroughly involved in education and medicine and social work and be there for them in, in serving all their needs, or you can go and evangelise. No, no. He says, go and do three things and do them all together because all are necessary if it's Christ's mission. We need to be present, we need to be serving and we need to be proclaiming and doing them all one by one. So here's the permission we need. We have to speak the good news to our next door neighbour. We have to tell them about the kingdom of God and how they can make Jesus king, but we also need to be serving and we need to be present for them and sincerely caring and concerned for them as well. Yes, during the last century, the churches of our Western world were pretty much divided over these three things, presence, service, or, and proclamation. We evangelicals were pretty good at blaming the Catholics and the mainline churches because we'd said they don't care about proclamation, they only care about presence and service. They, of course, came back and said, yeah, your problem is exactly that. You care about proclamation, but you don't serve and you don't you're not there in reality, you just use other people to tell the good news. Today, we've got to get beyond the quibbling and the bickering and the blaming and start to show an integrated, holistic understanding of mission and bring the three back together again. All right, I presume my time has probably gone. The final piece of this passage talks about the other half. When you go... What do you do if they reject the message? And Jesus has another of those strange sayings. He says, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus expects us to appreciate the eternal seriousness of refusing to heed the gospel message. The Jews had this widely recognised way of publicly shaking the dust off their feet or off their clothing to warn that people had had an opportunity to hear the word of God but had rejected that opportunity. We see it quite often in the New Testament, see it particularly, for instance, in Acts chapter 13, Verse 51, one week everybody's there to listen to the message, the next week the Jews are stirring up trouble and, and contradicting the Paul and Barnabas as they preach and so Paul and Barnabas say, we shake out, we shake off the dust even of the city from our feet. We're now going to the Gentiles because you've rejected the message. But I don't think we could expect much if we went and found a public megaphone or shouted from the public house in the middle of um, Alice Springs. I see you're not listening to the gospel, so I'm shaking the dust of Alice Springs off and wandering off. The message wouldn't get through, right? So the question is, what's the Australian way today 
of publicly warning people about the seriousness of not taking heed when they have the opportunity to hear the gospel. I frankly don't know. I spent um, 15 years and a lot of time since I'm living in Papua New Guinea, working in a Bible college. I have a bit of an idea about what to do in Papua New Guinea. But you see, that's part of the problem. Papua New Guineans share most of the same presuppositions about religion that were common in Jesus' day. But very few people in the West share any of those presuppositions today. We could talk about them if we have time. We don't. What do we do then? to get across this message that rejecting the message is serious for your eternal well-being. I've got a few suggestions here that um, put up. Um, should we publish a short Facebook notice saying this family has decided they don't want anything more to do with the Christian gospel and they accept the eternal consequences of the rejection of the gospel? Is that the way? Or... Shall we organise a march or a sit-in in front of the house with placards saying the same thing? Or would it be better for us as a church to take turns as church members and leave cakes and other gifts on their doorstep every few weeks? If so, how long shall we keep that up? Or uh, shall we covenant as a home group to pray for that family weekly for the next 12 months? then seek a new opportunity to build a positive relationship with them. And if so, how public should we make that decision? You see, I don't know, and I'm asking you tonight, what is the Australian Christian way to uphold this teaching today? Because Jesus said it, and he said it seriously, and he meant it seriously. But because it's hard, I think we often forget about it. If you've got any suggestions, I'll be glad to hear them later tonight, or I'll be back again next Sunday as well. But we've heard about some essential fundamentals of mission. We've heard about being ready to go out and to go in the proper way and how to start and get underway in mission. We've heard about what to do if people welcome us, and we've got to think much harder about what to do if they reject us. I want to finish on a positive note and I want to pick up one aspect of this and give you perhaps an, an example. It is actually a pretty good summary of all that we said tonight. But what is a Christian greeting that we could make when first going to a place where we hope to stay for some time in mission and what sort of things should we say? I want to read one such greeting to you. You'll recognise the words. They come from 2 Corinthians 5 and, 5, 7, 5 and 6. Greetings. Our Christian scriptures tell us that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the way to make peace with others and with God himself. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Well, we tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anybody's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights of hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, our friend, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you and ask you not to withhold yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my family, open wide your heart also. We thank you for your hospitality and reach you in the name of God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for giving me me, your attention tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mission 101. We thank you that these words, which sometimes sound so strange and unusual, actually suggest to us some very, very rich, meaningful, new ways of seeing ourselves as part of your harvest understanding that you look for productivity from us and you trust us to be your personal, purposeful and productive partners in this task. We thank you, Father, that you tell us to go, to be present, to serve and to proclaim. We ask that we might be loyal to you as citizens in your new kingly kingdom. We thank you that you have become our king. We thank you for the opportunity to work beside you in your name and for your sake. And may the world, may Alice Springs, may our church be different because we've taken notice tonight. We pray for the sake and the honour of our Lord Jesus. Amen.